And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. New VanCast. In the light of day, after the Vancouver Canucks flush a 3-0 lead, fall 4-3 to the Edmonton Oilers, Drabs are full credit to you because we did our last podcast on Monday, and that was after the weekend that was. It was two games to digest against the Winnipeg Jets. I kind of thought we would record late in the week after the two games against the Oilers, and you were adamant, no, let's go Wednesday, gotta go Wednesday, and I'm glad that we're going Wednesday morning because, my God, is there a lot to get to. Yeah, I mean, we have to sift through the wreckage, frankly, right? And I I just want to note this, and and I'm not just trying to pat pat myself on the back, although I often like to do that too, but it's a 3-0 game midway through the first period last night, and the Canucks were controlling the run of play, but when the Oilers had space or got chances or, you know, had the puck at all, they were just getting inside, and they were getting inside at will. And and I looked at Harmon and I said, I know Mike Smith's been bad, but the Canucks are in trouble. And after the Cahoon goal to make it 3-1, the rest of the night, I was like, the Canucks aren't winning this game. Like, don't worry about it. The Canucks aren't winning this game. Like, this is over. Um, and so, And of course, that did come to pass. And, like, the extent to which, even before they blew the lead, it was evident that the Canucks were outclassed. And not just because of McDavid and Dreisaitl, but by Edmonton's depth lines. Like, by Gaten Haas and Patrick Russell and Caleb Jones and Dominic Cahoon. Like, by Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, boy, that's a bad look. Like, that's a really tough look for this team. Uh, it's a really bad sign. And... You know, Edmonton has slowly, under Ken Holland, begun to add just like average NHL pieces, and it's made a huge difference to the team. Like, Kaylor Yamamoto's had a huge impact on that team just because he's like a credible average NHL top six forward. 
and they didn't have a lot of those. And when I look at this team now, this Oilers team, like I still think they're flawed. I, I think they are probably the biggest threat to the Leafs in Canada. And that's a reflection more of the weakness of this division. And that also needs to be mentioned here, right? Like the Canucks are the third worst team in the NHL. And they're in the third, they're the third worst team in the NHL while playing all of their games against the division that I think is the worst <laughs> fundamentally <laughs> in the NHL. Like this is a really, really bad team, a really bad team, a really limited team. Um, especially when their top end talent hasn't been at its best throughout. Uh, the seams are showing everywhere. The limitations are showing everywhere. And I just think about like moments, like there was a moment where, and it didn't result in the penalty and it didn't result in the goal against, but this moment in the third period where there was like a loose puck that Alex Edler was skating back for with Connor McDavid bearing down on him. And it was just like, you know, it was like one of those moments in a, um, like a BBC doc with like, <laughs> with Attenborough narrating and it's like a baby calf running away from a cheetah or something. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, this isn't going to end well. Um, you know, when, when you get to like that planet earth feeling like that predatory feeling, um, for, for, a, for one team against another, like, you know, at that point, it's just a matter of time. And it felt like that to me anyway, all night on Tuesday well, night at Rogers Arena. And look, there was a ton of vitriol in social spaces, as you would expect. And I saw a lot of people saying, that's it. I am done. I am checking out. I don't care. And I get that. I get that. They're 23 games in and they've had eight wins. They got two wins in their last dozen hockey games. For those people, I get it. I understand that sentiment. But you and I do this a couple of times a week. And we're going to continue to push out podcasts for the people that do care. And there are a lot of those people as well. And they care. They care about this hockey club. They care about the emotional investment that they have made in this hockey club. They care about the stewardship and the direction of this hockey club and the decisions that are made that have put this hockey club in the position that it is in. And it's for those people that we continue yes. to do the VanCast on a regular basis, and we're not going anywhere, uh, neither are the Vancouver Canucks, and that becomes evident <laughs> by the game. 33 games left, bud. Oh, my God. Right. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter, ultimately, why they lost, right? It doesn't matter why they lost. It does matter how you lost, though. And mm -hmm. to just throw up all over yourself with a 3-0 lead to outdo the fact that you had 2-0 leads on both Calgary and Winnipeg in the last 10 days and couldn't see those through across the finish line. And you up the ante and you go 3-0 and everything is going your way. And I know you sort of pushed back when I suggested they were fragile last podcast. And they did. They scored late in those two games that I just mentioned. And so, you know, they didn't roll over entirely. But they did last night. And you're right. Yeah. Like, you know, in some ways it was amazing. It took the Oilers as long as it did to get the lead from the Vancouver Canucks. And like McDavid scores and then the next shift rings that one off the crossbar. And, you know, he had the great chance in the second period as well. Uh, and yet statistically, Connor McDavid didn't have a great night. Like, if you look at the underlines for Connor McDavid, didn't he had a five-point night against Calgary the other night. Like, he beat the Calgary Flames single-handedly. 
McDavid was along for the ride last night in some ways. And that's the scary part, because it was those depth pieces that you mentioned that got the better of the Vancouver Canucks. And that, I mean, again, just underscores there's nowhere for the depth pieces on the Vancouver Canucks to hide. Uh, they're not good enough, even as Elias Pettersson is finding his game and scoring now regularly, and, and that's good for him. But, um, you know, there's a lot of talk now about the trade deadline and a guy like Tanner Pearson. And, you know, this has sort of been Tanner Pearson's history throughout his career, but really in his time in Vancouver as well. Like, I think he's got one point in his last nine games. Like, you know, this team isn't good enough. It's not good enough overall. We know that, but it certainly isn't good enough if just the lotto line is scoring. But even when the lotto line's scoring, they're out there for too many goals against. And we saw that again last night. And I hate to single him out because he's such a huge part of what the Vancouver Canucks will be in the future. But Tom, I looked at it again this morning. Even strength goals against. Quinn Hughes has been on the ice for 10 more than anybody in the National Hockey League. And the second place guys are also Vancouver Canucks, which doesn't <laughs> bode well for the team. But Quinn Hughes is 10 goals more at evens than anybody else in the National Hockey League. And they've got to figure out a way to insulate him and help him defend. Because for all the good he does at the offensive end of the ice, he's just getting scored on. He was on for two of the four Oiler goals last night. Yeah, it, Quinn Hughes' defensive play needs to be discussed because it's been really ugly. Uh, really ugly. And the secret's out around the league, too. Like, people are noting this um, with, you know, in, increasingly furrowed brows uh, around the league. Talent evaluators and on and on. And no surprise. It's obvious. Like, it's evident to the eye. And what's got to be frustrating for from a Canucks perspective is... You know, not that Hughes's in-zone defensive play was a pro was like sparkling or the strength of his game last year, but it didn't look like this. Like it really didn't look like this, and I don't think it's just the Chris Tanev effect. Like I I'm sure that's part of it. You know, I, I said on this podcast many times that I thought Tanev benefited more from playing with Hughes than Hughes with Tanev, but that that pair was more than the sum of its parts. But I don't think this is just the Tanev effect. There's something else up here. And the extent to which the Canucks are even more permissive, like an already permissive team becomes even more permissive with Hughes on the ice is really problematic. And then and then you throw in the fact that the defensive issues limit Hughes's overall value to this Canucks team and significantly, like significantly, but still a point of game guy, right? He's still a point of game guy, which means there's no break coming like Hughes is defensive flaws this year are hurting this team in terms of their ability to win, but they are not helping restrain his value on his next contract. And that's an important sort of thing to note because this is like the worst of both worlds from a Canucks perspective um, in, in terms of that side of it. Um, that said, Hughes is still excellent. And, and we know because we saw it last year, like we saw it over 70 games. We saw it in the bubble. Like this is not a player who actually sucks defensively. Like, he's really good defending the neutral zone. Uh, the in-zone defensive side is not going to be the strength of his game, likely, until, you know, he adds maybe a little bit more man strength, maybe, or uh, figures out a couple of things, figures out some of the Ryan Ellis, like, angles and and playing guys inside. But, but he's not this. Like, this is not, I don't think, who Quinn Hughes is, based on what we saw, what, what we saw in his first, you know, 80 games of his NHL career. 
Uh, but it is what he is right now, and it is hurting this team. Yeah, and he can't be 10 goals worse than anybody else in the National Hockey no, League when it comes no, to, to even strength well, goals. And it's not just the goals. Like, the underlying numbers back it up too, right? Right, yeah. Um, this team's surrendering way too much. They surrender even more with one of Hughes or Myers on the ice. Um, you know, it's a problem. And it, look, it's a problem that also extends beyond Hughes and, and across this roster, right? Like, there's just not enough two-way skill or intelligence up and down the lineup, right? Like, even even up front, their best players are offensively calibrated. Like, Horvat wins draws, so people miscast him as a as a defensive center. But, like, this is a guy who has real two-way value, can play a matchup role. But the main reason that he manages to come out ahead in tough minutes is that he generates a lot, right? Like, he's really more offensively calibrated piece. Uh, Pedersen, clearly. Besser, clearly. Uh, Miller, clearly, right? Like, Hughes, clearly. All of this team's best players are, you know, they're not one-way guys, but they're guys who are offense value, like premium offensive value pieces. The two-way pieces are just non-existent. And then and then their defense-only guys are middling. Like they're marginal pieces. They're marginal players. And so you get, you know, and this was the problem for the team last year, right? Everything this team did was on a knife's edge because there's not enough depth. There's not enough two-way ability. and you know, it's just come home to roost without elite goaltending in a major, major way. And and it's created a death march situation where the next 33 are just going to be so painful to watch and follow, um, especially with the toxicity that comes. And we'll get into this later with Rick Dollywall, too, from having a coach who's on the last year of his deal. So will he play the young guys the way the organization probably should? Because there's some things they really need to know about guys like Adam Gaudet. Right. Like there are there are questions that they need to find answers to that that will have long term impact and import for the future of this team. But will they even do that in a world where the incentives are polluted? Right. Um, Same thing on the management side, like this management team needs to sell now, clearly, clearly. But there's also a management team that we're not sure is going to have a vested long term interest in the future of this club. Right. And, And so. That creates its own weird incentives and its own sort of uh, dysfunction and it, and its incentive level dysfunction. Like it's not dysfunction because Green is a self-interested guy. It's not dysfunction because Benning's a self-interested guy who's not going to operate with the organization's best interests at heart. Like this is above them. Sword incentives because structurally this team's been just put in a position to fail, just like a lot of these players. And that sucks. What do you think the news out of Montreal today does in terms of ratcheting up the heat on this organization? Because for so long, people have sort of coached it with, well, you know, they can't make these moves in a pandemic. And here you've got a Montreal team that has absolutely feasted on the Canucks. I know that they've run on hard times and have lost to the Ottawa Senators, but they're still well ahead of the Canucks. They're above the playoff bar. Uh, I guess beer sales, perhaps, for the Molson family have gone better in the pandemic than uh, the Aquilini businesses. Uh, whatever the case, the Habs were prepared to move off a legitimate, like a really good coach, a proven coach, uh, a Stanley Cup winning coach. And, uh, you know, whether it's the coach or the, the GM, I'm just saying the Habs decided what was going on there wasn't right in their minds. And here's this organization that just continues to sort of wallow in its misery and um, continues to outdo itself in the way that it goes about its business with, you know, crapping away a 3 nothing lead to lose 4-3 to the Oilers last night. Do you think, like, I look at the Canucks schedule, we're sitting here on February 24th, 
On March 24th, they have a full week in their schedule. There's a week-long break. Like, if things continue to slide for the Vancouver Canucks, does a week in the schedule offer the organization any sort of opportunity, do you think, to make a significant move if it has to? Maybe, but if it's not happening already, we're like, why would it happen then, right? And here's the one key difference between Montreal and Vancouver, right? And it's a key difference worth worth bearing in mind. The Montreal Canadiens made a change because they've lost three games in the last two and a half weeks to the Montreal to the Ottawa Senators. What's one thing the Canucks haven't done yet this season? Lose to the <laughs> Ottawa Senators. They're like they're the key ingredient. They're the they're the team that when they beat you, everyone's like. That's unacceptable. Changes needed. <laughs> um, until the Canucks lose to the Senators, I'm sure they will. Look, look, this team's going to try and stay the course anyway. Clearly, right? Like, they've telegraphed that now. And, you know, the question the question two weeks ago was, is it going to get bad enough that management needs to pull the shoot? Or not management. Ownership needs to pull the shoot. And now we're sitting here two weeks later and it's gotten worse. Like, the teams played fine for the most part until last night. I didn't think they were good last night. But they've played better. The effort's been there pretty consistently. The results haven't been. And that's just continued to shine a spotlight on how overmatched this club is, top to bottom. And now we're in this position where, again, those questions are going to resurface. Can they wait it out? Can they, like, Are we going to get another Twitter vote of confidence? Like, At some point, doesn't someone other than Travis Green need to address this clusterfuck we're seeing? I think yes, right? Like, yes. Whether it's the GM or ownership, like someone needs to at some point address this fan base because 33 games left watching this team with no stakes and the polluted incentives that I discussed, like, how's that tolerable? How's that like that's we're talking we're talking about entering territory that could be damaging to the long term brand health of this franchise, but also to the like long term psychology of the team and not to mention you know, what second contracts for some of their key players look like, right? Key young players. Um, Because you're always going to get a better second contract outcome from players who are invested and bought in to what you're constructing. Uh, All of these things are like swirling around in this sort of, um, I guess, toilet bowl of of toxicity. And it's not as easy as just flushing it at season's end. You actually have to endure the next two and a half months of it. Right. The Canucks have two wins in their six games since the owner took to Twitter to say his piece. And uh, yeah, they're 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. So it's 500 hockey, but 500 hockey gets them absolutely nowhere. Uh, no. We've made that point abundantly clear. Uh, no real need to go down that. Our VIPs, they get it. They understand the numbers. They know where the Canucks are. But since the owner thought he was taking the heat off the coach and GM, the team has responded with two wins in six games. They have two wins in their last dozen, and they're sitting there with eight wins in 23 games now on the season. And I, you know, you mentioned Ottawa. I put out a, a Twitter poll, just kind of the last thing I did before I shut it down last night, and said, you know, at some point, any point this season, Will the Ottawa Senators spend a night ahead of the Vancouver Canucks in the standings? And when you think of the depth of where the Senators were when they came through Vancouver, how bad they looked, how disorganized they looked, how that three-game set sort of allowed the Canucks to, you know, just exhale and think that they could get back on with their season again. And here are the Sens now creeping up on the Vancouver Canucks with games in hand. And I think it was 78% at last check thought, yeah, the Sens are going to pass. 
the Vancouver Canucks at some point no, for at least not. one night this season. They're not. I say no. Okay. I'm voting no. I, I'm voting no. I'm voting no on that. But but the fact we're having the discussion though, Tom says something. Totally, totally. But I I mean I just can't believe how. Yeah, I mean Ottawa is actually worse than I expected. Like the Canucks are worse than I expected. Ottawa is also worse than I expected. <laughs> I didn't think the bottom would fall out on both of these teams to the extent that it has. Um, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But but you're right. It is close, and it's way closer than than should be acceptable. Like wh- think about how we ranked the North Division prior to the season, right? Like you know Toronto up at the top, and everyone else was like, and then anything could happen. And I, I think we were like, well, Montreal, then probably Calgary. Something I still believe, by the way. I just think they're woefully uh, miscoached. And then Edmonton, Winnipeg, Vancouver in some order. But I've now seen enough that between Winnipeg's quality in net and Edmonton's quality up front, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I just I, like we've seen it. We've seen the Canucks play well against those teams and not even be in the ballpark just this week. Uh, that to me is emphasized that in fact the Canucks were are are just not even in that class, uh, but I still think there's a gulf between them and the Senators. Like I, I do still think that um, at least the Canucks have a few defenders who can skate and a top end that can hang, um, especially now that they're back on their game. Um, you know, Vancouver's top end should be as good as anyone's in Canada. the The thing is, is that you know Pedersen's been fine. He's found his game of late. But he hasn't been at the level that he was the year prior. And with Pedersen and Hughes not doing what they did the year prior between them, and neither has, um, you know, that, that, sort of, that sort of changes the logic, which kept the Canucks in the mix. And that was that this top end might be the best in Canada. It, it clearly is not at the level that Toronto and Edmonton's is um, to this point in the season. Uh, that could change. I'm not saying that that's going to be true a year from now, two years from now, but it is right now. And without that, man, this, this is a, just, this is just a bad team. This is just a bad team. And, you know, I'm curious to see, like the Canucks will take the ice for practice at noon in Toronto in Vancouver today. And I'm really curious to see like what, I mean, what options, what, what options could you even do to tweak the lineup to change the mix? You know, like this team has five and a half top six forwards or five and a half top nine forwards, frankly. Right? Like Vertanen, Gaudet, Howerluck, uh, Sutter, Beagle, Roussel, Erickson, McEwen. Like, should any of those guys be an everyday top nine player on a good team? Probably you know, not. I think but, the answer but, is probably not. But, probably not. But you know what? Play Howerluck. Give him a chance. Give him a look. Yes. Antoine Roussel. Like Antoine Roussel, whatever that was, and I saw he got fined by the NHL today. Like, you just you can't be doing that kind of stuff. And it hasn't gone well for him. His penalty killing has been all right. And that's sort of the only thing that's kept him in the lineup. Find somebody else that can penalty kill for a night. Play Jace Howerluck. Sit Jay Beagle for a game here at some point and activate Mark Michaelis. Like, I don't think we're to that point yet because Travis Green is still coaching to win hockey games. And mathematically, they're not eliminated from the playoffs. But, like, Jay Beagle didn't play the second half of the one game against Winnipeg on Friday night. Uh, I I think... I'm not sure he was on the ice for a shot on goal last night, uh, and yet his line was out there on the game winner. Sit him down for a night. Like, let's see what Mark Michaelis can do. See if there's a hockey player there that can be a part of what the Canucks want to be here moving forward. Like, we're getting to that stage now. The players they're using aren't getting the job done. So, 
look for something else. Try something else at the very least. And I don't expect Jace Howerluck to be a difference maker. But the guys that are getting the chance to wear a Canuck uniform on a nightly basis, guess what? They're not difference makers either. So what do you have to lose? I think we're getting precariously close to that point of whether it's message sending or just experimenting, whatever. You flushed a 3 nothing lead at home. It's slipping away by the day here. Uh, throw something. Throw the fans a bone. Throw them a different look and see if maybe something else can spark this hockey club and get it moving in the right well, direction. Well, I'll be shocked if Howard Luck's not in the lineup and in the lineup in a top nine. I wouldn't actually be shocked by a top six, but probably a top nine capacity when the Canucks do rushes at practice today. Like, he was staying in the mix on the PK yesterday. Uh, the way that morning skate looked, like, I, I actually texted our upcoming guest, Dollywall, and I was like, you should check with Howie's agent, um, or Jace Howerluck's agent, because, sorry, I don't mean to use nicknames, but I, <laughs> I worked with the guy, so I'm used to calling him that. Um, <laughs> That's Howerluck's right. uh, agent, because uh, watching morning skate, I think there's a 33% shot. And I literally texted that, because you know me, Jay, J-Pad, I'm nothing if not outrageously precise, right? I'm like, I think there's a 33% shot that he's in tonight. Um, so I told Dollywall to, to run it down yesterday. Obviously, he wasn't. I bet you he is today. Like, they're, they're, clearly, they were telegraphing that, like, this guy's next man up. Um, Michaelis, I don't think, gets in yet. I don't think we're at that point in the season yet. Like, we're talking about a 25-year-old rookie. I like his wheels, but um, I just don't think we're going to get there yet. But how, it's, it's Howard Luck time. That's happening today. Uh, I will be stunned. I will be stunned. I will I will find a way to print out the transcript of this podcast and eat it in the event that Howard Luck is not in the Canucks lineup based on practice lines um, on, on Wednesday at Rogers Arena. Oh my goodness. 23 games in, that's what it's got. It's Howard Luck time. That's what yeah. it's come to. I think we declared that, you know, they, they turned to Louie a few weeks ago and we thought 15 games in, they're turning to Louie. <laughs> that's what it's come to for Louis, the Vancouver Louis Canucks. Hey. the only guy they've inserted into the top six forward group. Yeah. Like how, how ugly, how incredibly ugly is that? And and like Niels Hoaglander, man, it's so unfair to him to be in this spot at this point. You know, like I saw Dom LeCision did the rookie value, uh, like he he did his awards ballot at the Athletic, and you know Hoaglander was like middling, like eighth, right? And if but if you looked at it purely off offensive value, he'd he'd have been at the top. Defensive value, he was near the bottom. Um, like that's why he's only middling as opposed to being an actually valuable contributor, uh, based on Dom's game score value added metric. And that's not on Niels Hoaglander. Like, it's not that he's not good defensively. It's that he isn't a matchup forward at the age of 20, you know, like fair, fine. That's not on him, you know, from the coach to the GM to the 20 year old rookie, like on and on down the line. Everyone seems to be being put in a place to fail or a place to make decisions that are like self-preservation decisions as opposed to decisions that actually benefit the org. Everyone's over their head. Everyone. And like, that's not just a sign of a bad team. That's like an organization that really needs to give its head a shake, needs a significant reorientation. Top to bottom, what we're seeing is a mess. All right, so it's Howerluck time, we think, for the Vancouver Canucks. We know, though, we know that it's Dollywall time here for the VIPs. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Rick Dollywall is an important voice in this community, Tom. Uh, he was a victim, obviously, like so many of the radio decisions that were made earlier this month. But no way you can keep Dolly silent. And certainly we wanted to hear from him. And I know the VIPs did as well. So good to get Rick Dollywall back on the VanCast. Dolly, how are you? I'm a UFA. I'm a UFA. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I made a, I, I, I made a living off of talking about a UFA. RFAs and guess what boys I'm a UFA now well hopefully not for long like uh, so many of us it's a long list of quality people that are all uh, out there looking for that next great opportunity and hopefully it comes for you because as I said an important voice a respected voice in this market Uh, lots of things to get to Rick but uh, first things first uh, look, Tom and I spent the early part of this podcast trying to make sense of what we saw from the Canucks last night. A 3-0 lead, they flush it, they lose to the Edmonton Oilers, the struggles continue. Just your general thoughts. We haven't heard from you in a couple of weeks, but your thoughts on where this organization is and how they move forward uh, after a loss like that one. So much positivity after the, the bubble in Edmonton. So much uh, feel-good uh, stories, uh, you know, essentially three playoff rounds, you're feeling good. You know, Travis Green's feeling good. Uh, the roster, Jim Benning's getting accolades uh, for taking Vegas to uh, Game 7. You beat the defending Stanley Cup champs. But then, guys, you lose Markstrom to Foley, Tanev, Levo, and, the, you know, Stetcher. I really believe, I, I know you, that they lost a lot of players, but they lost a lot of leadership. They lost a lot of guys. Um that were key members of a dressing room and the culture. You know, I go back to, uh, I know some of the Canuck players were astounded by how much leadership they lost, how many guys that walked away, and the importance of a Markstrom and a a Tanev uh, to young kids and teaching them, and Quinn Hughes and Tanev, you know, we all know about that relationship. We all know about Markey. And Pedersen, I thought they lost a ton of leadership. I really, really, really did. I think the veteran players on the team realized it. And here we are. They're 2-10 and 10 in their past uh, 12 games, 8 wins in 23 games, uh, 3 of those uh, 8 wins against Ottawa. Their winning percentage, 391, only ahead of Detroit and Ottawa. I didn't see this. Blowing leads, a 2-0, 2-0, 3-0 at home. Um, it is... It's just everything that could go wrong went wrong. But hold it a second. They'll tell you there was no exhibition games. They'll tell you in our old division against, uh, you know, L.A. and Anaheim and San Jose, we would have done a whole lot better. No one told us we were going into a Canadian division. You know, there was no training camp. Our young kids never got a chance to prove uh, their worth uh, really at training camp. Travis basically knew his roster. The only real surprise for me was Hoglander and the way he's played. But Jeff, I got to be honest with you. There was such an emotional high coming off the bubble in Edmonton. And here you are today. Uh, you know, the cat calls for the GM and the coach again. Um, it's, 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 it's not something as we sit here on February the 24th, it is not where I expected them to be. Right, and we haven't had a chance to catch up with you since the owner, in his six-tweet thread, told everybody that it wasn't time to panic then. 
Is it time to panic now? Yeah, well, it is. And, and I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to get, if you guys don't mind, I want to give you a Travis Green extension update. There yeah. is no update. It's quiet. <laughs> it's crickets. There's been no talks. And when you don't talk, there's no progress. You know, they took away his MVP goalie. They took away a top four defenseman. They took away a top six forward. And you know what? I just think that, uh, you know what? If, if this is it for Travis Green in Vancouver, he's going to have options when it's all over. He'll be fine if he hits the market. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this at both of you. If you get rid of Travis Green, the new coach coming in, guys, won't be getting four or five million. It won't be an upper echelon, high paid coach. Because the way, if you read the owner's tea leaves, uh, he didn't sign Triampkin last year. He didn't want to do one way deals. He's kind of being astringent on the Travis Green talk. So you're going to get uh, uh, a coach around two million, two and a half million is my guess, guys. So if you do let Travis Green walk, you're not going to get a Peter Laviolette type of deal where he got in Washington four or five million. I just think, guys, I, I, I just I'm looking uh, at Travis Green right now and he's a sitting duck. He's a lame duck coach. And right now, I just uh, I would have to say to you, uh, it, I would be very very surprised if they get it done. Well, I can think of a coach in a backwater collegiate program who's got a big name and might be thirsty for a job once he's through botching his um, <laughs> reputational reclamation <laughs> project. Hey, uh, let's let's pivot because you know you reeled it off. Like the Canucks are the third worst team in hockey right now, and it's too late. Like they don't have the sixty games to turn it around here. They have. 33, right? Like, I mean, every game I'm going to be tweeting about their pace and we're at the point where, you know, I saw a good funny Sir Earl tweet or something yesterday that was like, the Canucks just need to play to 174-point pace um, (laughs) to make the playoffs now. But that's pretty much where we're at. So let's talk about the pivot. Yeah. Let's talk about the assets that this club may have to sell. And I think that begins and ends with a certain, you know, uh, workmanlike top six forward who plays the net front on the power play as a Stanley Cup uh, resume, you know, the type of guy who you typically get a pretty decent yeah. return on in Tanner Pearson. Uh, what do you think? Do you think he's going to hit UFA? Do you think the Canucks will explore an extension? Do you think he's going to have market value, Rick? I, I talked to Tanner Pearson's uh, agent uh, yesterday, last night, uh, Joe Resnick. Uh, Joe's got some uh, prior experience in Vancouver. He had Frankie Corrado. He had Jared McCann. Hey, look, Tanner Pearson, I I, I think, is agent. I think everybody uh, wants to re-sign in Vancouver. I think they're curious to see what the Canucks say. I can tell you right now there have been no talks with Tanner Pearson and the Canucks. This is a player that Travis Green likes a lot, calls him a mature pro, uh, great in the dressing room, competes hard, plays special teams. And like you mentioned, Thomas, championship pedigree, um, when Green shifted to hard scale in the top nine, Pearson was a really good fit for him. He, he, he had shifted to, he wanted his top six, top nine guys to be more aggressive, to get the puck. He wanted more size. He wanted hard scale. Well, guess what? Tanner Pearson fits that bill. The Canucks need to call this guy's agent and find out, and I believe they will at some point, and uh, look at an extension. But when you look at the UFAs, and this is to both of you, yeah, Pearson, Sutter, Berchie, Edler, Hamannick, Ben. I, you know, I, I, you look at Ben and the way he's kind of, you know, he didn't have a great first year. He's healthy scratched. And all of a sudden he's playing now 
admirably with uh, Quinn Hughes, who, you know, you got Quinn's going to go out and do his stuff. He's going to try and stick handle uh, between five guys, go behind the opposition net. You need a calming influence back there with him. And that's why Chris Tanev worked a lot. But what do you do with Jordy Ben? You know, Pearson, Sutter, I, I, I cannot imagine this market's reaction if they re-sign Sutter. I can't imagine it. I Like, guys, I had somebody in the Canadian division, a source, tell me that he thinks the Canucks may have the worst bottom six in the NHL. They got to improve their bottom six. Bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And there's no question about that. So, you know, with, with Pearson in particular, right? Do you have a sense for how agents are preparing for what is likely to shape up as another buyer's market? Uh, you know, with a guy like Pearson, I mean, and, and I just love lowballing guys hypothetically on in any conversation with Rick Dollywall. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for Dollywall to give the, uh, the like huge asking price leak on like <laughs> one of his former 1040 UFA colleagues, right? Like Sakaris looking for seven years, 8 million, um, with, uh, well, you sure screwed, hey, hey Thomas, <laughs> you sure screwed up on Markstrom because you thought he was getting three. That's true. Three That's true. Markstrom, Markstrom, Markstrom set a new market. I was very impressed. Um, and he looks like he's been worth every dollar for Calgary when he's been healthy anyway. Hey, um, with Pearson, like, is it a matter of, in your view, the Canucks going and being like, the best we can do is two five times two, you know, say, hypothetically. Um, and if he says no, you flip him. Like, is it is it as straightforward as you have to have an extension done before the deadline or you flip? Or can this management group really afford to kick any more cans down the road here? It's a great question. I talked to somebody back east today about the trade deadline, which is April 12th. Well, you got to make your deals uh, by the end of March, if you're a Canadian team, because of the quarantine, um, you know, and all of a sudden, uh, I, I'm going to tell you this about Tanner Pearson. There there will be teams that are gearing up for a Stanley Cup run that will look at Tanner Pearson and the championship pedigree, a veteran guy, smart in all three zones. I th think Tanner Pearson will have a lot. I think the Canucks, if they don't get a deal done with him, I think Tanner Pearson will have, even as a UFA, though, um, you know, Tanner Pearson uh, played a big role in the Canucks getting Tyler Toffoli because the two were together in L.A. And, you know, hey, let's get Toffoli with Pearson. You know, they can reunite. They had that line uh, in L.A. that was so good uh, with uh, our Carter as well. So, you know what? What do you do? What do you do? You get, And I, I, it's a COVID world. You got an owner here that's not a really into spending money right now. Uh, you got an owner. <laughs> Uh, that is tightening the grip with the wallet. You got an owner that is not giving Travis Green what he wants on his extension. You got an owner that, uh, you know, he's got no ticket revenue. So he's not in the mood to add payroll. He's not in the mood to spend a ton of money this year because, guys, he's got no revenue. You know, he's probably having a tough time selling jerseys. You know, it, it, it's a, it's just, you know what it is? Uh, this past year and a half or yet, but this year, guys, has just not being normal it's not normal i'm going to be really interested to see how they handle patterson and hughes contracts i really am going to be interested to see how the patterson and hughes contracts even thatcher demko if thatcher demko somehow wrestles the number one goalie spot and plays a ton of hockey this year i think i, I think his agent can look for a, a pretty good uh, healthy raise as well uh so they're going to their cap issues and their issues with 
you know, giving guys quality, all these young guys coming out of entry level deals, it, it's going to be very, very interesting uh, for me how they build these contracts in the offseason. Hey, Rick, you mentioned it there. I mean, look, the guys that they've got aren't working for them. We know that there are massive issues in the bottom six and the way this team is constructed. The season is slipping away. I mean, at what point do you give some of these other young players an opportunity, whether it's a Mark Michaelis who's been sitting patiently on the taxi squad? We saw that Rathbone finally was sent down to Utica to get some game action, but uh, Cole Lind, who has got off to a decent start uh, down in Utica, like, at what point do you think the Canucks owe it to themselves and to this fan base to, you know, start to see if what they've got and if some of these guys can actually be players? Because we know that the players that they're using certainly aren't getting the job done. Oh, big time. And, but this comes down to the day they think they're out of the playoffs. This comes down to Travis Green is going to fight tooth and nail. And you guys know this. For every two points, one point. Because Travis Green, if he's a lame duck coach, which he is, and if he's going to enter the coaching market... He doesn't want to enter the coaching market as a coach that didn't make the playoffs. He wants to enter the coaching market as a guy that, hey, guys, I, it didn't work out for me in Vancouver, but I made the playoffs this year. I think Travis Green is not in any mood to play the young kids until he knows 100%, 100% that they're out of the playoffs, Jeff. Travis Green's not the type of guy to throw up the white flag today and say, hey, I'm going to start playing the kids. Travis Green needs victories. He needs points. In his eyes, he does not think he's out of the playoffs yet. But everybody, you know, it's not looking good. Every team in the division above the Canucks is games on hand. they got games in hand on them. It's, it's not looking good. But I don't think until the day they are officially eliminated, Jeff, that the, you will see the young kids get a chance. You mentioned Pedersen and Hughes, and look, we don't know ultimately who's going to be negotiating on behalf of the Vancouver Canucks, but Jim Benning is the general manager right here, right now. These aren't the kinds of deals, like these are two of the most important contracts that this organization will ever work through Yeah, uh, in 50 plus years of existence. Do we know, like, has any contact been made, any groundwork been laid whatsoever like, we saw what happened. They ran out of time, apparently, with Tyler Toffoli. They can't let that happen. Obviously, Hughes isn't open to an offer sheet, but Elias Pettersson is. Like, do you know, has there been any sort of exploratory talks about any kind of framework? I think J.P. Berry uh, has talked uh, with, uh, J.P. told me uh, after they announced that they got Pettersson from the old agent, and he said that there has been dialogue with the Canucks. I don't know if they're crunching numbers, but the really nice part of it is that there has been dialogue. Here's what I know about Pedersen. And, and, and Thomas, we have talked about this. I always got the impression that Mitch Marner was the comparable for Elias mm -hmm. Pedersen very early on. This is going back to his old agent. Long-term or short-term, Marner's at six years and 10.8 million. Um, is nine million the target for Pedersen? If the Canucks play hardball because of COVID, would Pedersen do a four-year deal that takes him to UFA and say, okay, fine. You guys are going to play hardball because we're in a COVID world and, you know, cap issues, yada, yada, yada. I look at Matt, the, can I, I, and Thomas and I both know that Matthew Barzell was a comparable from the Canucks perspective. And when it comes to Quinn Hughes, I will say this. Uh, you just got to wait till Kale McCarr, uh, Nero Heiskanen, and Dallin and Buffalo, all four of those uh, outstanding young uh, stud franchise defensemen are all going to get in the same. I'm not worried about Hughes. Because Hughes is easily going to get whatever uh, McCarr and Heisken and Dallin get. Pat Patterson could be interesting to me, wh which, which way it goes. 
And and here's the other one. Will Barry and Pat Brisson, will they give the Canucks a little leeway knowing that COVID could play a, a role and there's no revenue for the owner? So it's good. You nailed it, Jeff. It, these two contracts are going to be franchise, uh, absolutely franchise uh, uh, deals that are going to shift a lot of power to these kids. Uh, but Pedersen, keep an eye on. Uh, would he just do a four-year deal that takes him to UFA if he doesn't get his money? He can't do a four-year deal, Rick. That is malpractice. What? Yeah, but hold, you hold cannot. it. He's 22. You cannot. You cannot. From from a team perspective, like, if an agent ever suggests four years to you, tell them to get the fuck out. That's, like, no yeah, chance. No think, chance. Three or five. That, I'll do three. I'll do five. I'll do, I'll do two. I'll do seven. I'll do eight. I'll do one. Yeah. But four is the magic number of fuck off no. That's bad faith. I yeah. can't do it. I, you're you're talking about from the team perspective. I'm talking about the player. If he oh no, I know a player wants four years, but I'm saying that goes off the table yeah. the moment it's broached. No way, no yeah. way. Malpractice. Gonna, it, Any manager who gonna, signs who signs Pedersen to a four year deal needs to be fired the next day. Well, uh, seriously, <laughs> we, we we can't stop talking about firing the the GM. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm going to ask both of you the trade deadline. Okay, so here's something. So the Canucks may have a GM that runs the deadline who may not be here next year. A coach and a GM work together at the deadline, and and both these guys may be gone. The dynamics of this trade deadline for the Vancouver Canucks, probably more uh, interesting than any other trade line I've ever seen with the Canucks. You're going to have a coach and a GM who might not be here next year that are going to be told to execute a trade deadline. A GM always asks a coach, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? They got to work hand in hand on free agency. They got to work hand in hand at the trade deadline. This trade deadline to me is going to be unbelievable, dynamic, and interesting. And is the owner going to allow the GM, who may or may not be here next year, is he going to give him the power to do what he wants? Right. Well, and you bring up a fascinating point, which is just about overall incentives, right? Because there is a real cost to changing coaches. Like we saw in yeah. in Montreal, for example, uh, Alex Burroughs, former former Canuck, is now an assistant coach for the Montreal Canadiens. Ducharme replaces Julian. And all of a sudden you get to this moment when you bring in a new coach where like, hey, that guy was playing top six minutes, but I want him as a third liner. Or that guy is playing top nine minutes. I think he's a press box guy. And this guy, who previously was organizational depth, he's now a guy who plays the ninth most minutes among all my forwards because I like his defense. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are real costs in terms of reorienting things. Absolutely. In terms of how the Canucks are aligned incentives-wise, I mean, the coach not being ready to play young players when it's clear the season is already lost. Uh, The GM potentially evaluating... You know, maybe you can't get picks for some of these guys, but maybe you can get some prospects. The G- a GM who may not be here long term evaluating and making those deals like it's also fucking toxic. Is there oh. is there is there a cost on the Hughes Pedersen front, do you think, to what this club has gone through since leaving the bubble in early September? Like, can we kiss hometown discounts goodbye because of not just the CAA factor, but also the you know, shit rolls downhill and may find itself onto the Canucks' cap ledger as a result of what's unfolded here over the past half year. And and I'm going to say the same thing again to you, Thomas. It's going to come up to J.P. Barry and Pat Brisson. Will they give the Canucks a little leeway? 
knowing that it's COVID and no revenue? Will they give them a little break? A little break? I thought when uh, JP Berry did the Barzell contract, I thought, holy smokes, uh, that's a low number on a three-year deal. Uh, this guy's dynamic. I, I, I would be hard-pressed to find a better skater or he's in the top five for skating, Matthew Barzell. He's so dynamic with the puck. He's still got such great hockey sense. I thought Barzell would get a higher number than that. Uh, but you know what? Maybe JP was dealing with Lou Lamorello. He was dealing with an Islanders team capped out. Maybe they took less. But I'm just trying to say, is there Petter, is Pedersen and Hughes, would they take less knowing it's a COVID world, no revenue? That's going to be the fascinating question. I, and if the Canucks could ever, and I don't think they ever could, but if they could ever get Pedersen at the Barzell number, that's that's a grand slam. I don't think that's the case. I think the number's got to be higher. Yeah, I agree with you. Rick, come on a journey with me here. <laughs> uh, let's go to Russia for a sec, because uh, I know that you check in on uh, Podkolzin and also Trampkin. Uh, I know you exchanged uh, texts with uh, Podkolzin's general manager, I think it was. That was a nasty-looking headshot that he took a couple of weeks back. I know that uh, concussion, there was early talk that it was, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, it was a, a small concussion, in their words, a couple of games, but I don't think he has returned to game action just yet. What do you know? What's the latest on Podkolzin? And where do things stand? And if at all, with Nikita Trampkin. Okay, so Pod Colson, I, I texted uh, Russia this morning. I'm getting a call back. So if he calls while I'm on with you two, I'm cutting you two off. I, I'm cutting you two off, and I will Perfect. go and I will go get the scoop. I will cut you two off. Anyways, uh, Pod Colson, he had originally thought, uh, you know, basically uh, he didn't think it was a serious concussion. So I am waiting a call. Uh, to, to get the update on Pod Colson. Hey, Triampkin, the regular season in the KHL ends this weekend. His team is in uh, fighting for sixth, seventh, or eighth. Will they sign him? This year to sign him is going to be tough. You got to deal with immigration. You got to deal with a contract. You got to deal with quarantining. You got to deal with how long his playoff run might be. Maybe they run out of time. Uh, the NHL season ends in March, I think, 12th or 13th or 14th for the Canucks. I, I just, I'm adding everything up immigration, quarantine, get a contract, playoffs. I, I wonder if they if there's any room there for this year. I, but Triampkin, after this year, will have one year left on his uh, contract, Jeff. Um, and knowing what the Canucks are with their defensive situation and whether they let Hamannick and Ben go this year, maybe they let Hamannick and Ben go and maybe they bring in Triampkin. That, to me, is going to be uh, very interesting what they do with Nikita Triampkin. Rick, with... Regards to expansion, right? There's a lot of different balls in the air. Um, you know, oh, yeah. you bring up you bring up Jordy Ben, for example, right? Like if if you want to protect Tyler Myers, for example, in the expansion draft process, and I don't know why you would, but if you do, uh, you kind of need to extend Ben. Like you need to extend Ben or trade for a guy who you who meets your exposure requirements. Like how much is expansion prep going to impact? player movement and extension talks what are you hearing yeah and that's a great question because you know i talked to jordy ben's agent a couple of days ago um rich evans and and obviously they love vancouver and they would love to come back and the other thing is that you have to make a, a defenseman available to seattle with term that he's got to have more than one year left on his deal so obviously they got schmidt and they got myers two guys with terms, so they do, they're cut off nicely there. But Jordy Ben, what you do with him, to me, is going to be interesting. Travis Green's been impressed with him, and, you know, and Travis Green. And the other thing I heard uh, is that, you know, Jordy Ben, 
uh, when he was healthy scratch for a long time, you can go sit up in the press box. You can be grumpy. You could be uh, have the bad attitude. You could be a crybaby. You could have your lips down to your ankles crying, you know, but he didn't do that. This guy's a really good uh, teammate. He did not uh, bitch and whine about being up in the press box. He had a good attitude. Team was very impressed with that. Those are the kind of things that factor in when you're going to sign a player. And I think Jordy Ben gives this team a good depth. I think he gives them a good teammate. I think he's a character guy. I, I think they would love to re-sign in Vancouver. And that's uh, that's the one that's going to be interesting to me. Because Hamannick, if you got to pick between Hamannick and Ben, uh, Hamannick hasn't been here very long, guys. And, 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 you know, you guys have talked about Alexander Edler. Well, obviously, he's going to be made available in the Seattle draft. But guys, what do you do with Edler? Are you bringing him back next year? Because uh, how's the market going to react to that? Yeah, I mean, those are all uh, massive questions. And again, it starts with who's going to be making those decisions? Who's going to have their hands on the wheel uh, to make the call on all of these things? Hey, Rick, this is, uh, I mean, first of all, it's just great to hear your voice again and to get you talking hockey. It's not quite as much fun when we don't have an inbox for you to uh, read (laughs) and, and read on the fly. But uh, let me just say this as we wrap things up, because I, I, I need to know. I need to know if you have reached out to the Vancouver Canucks, because at some point there will be fans back in the building, and the organization's not going to have any use for those tarps anymore. Have you reached out to the Canucks and ah! asked if you could secure the giant crown royal tarp ah! that's covering the corner? Well, I got one on my wall, a smaller version. But <laughs> I, if I ever got that tarp at the Crown Royal tarp at Rogers Arena, I'd put it in my backyard. Just it, you know what? I'd nail it in my backyard. It wouldn't have to cut the grass, and I would just, you know what? Just leave it there, and I would get a helicopter, a picture from high above of the house in the backyard with the tarp. I would do that. I would do that. Well, I think we got to see if we can make that happen because at some point that thing's going to end up on a scrap heap somewhere and that feels like much better use. I want to see an aerial photo. We'll get a drone and just have Dolly <laughs> sprawled out in the middle of the tarp in his backyard in all his glory. I can see it now. I love it. Hey, I would be the first guy to offer you four years as an unrestricted free agent. Rance wouldn't, but I'd go four years with you, Dolly. In a I'd heartbeat. say four years is a trade request. Oh my God. Five four years. years. My goodness, Dolly. <laughs> Holy cow. I'm not doing anything anything less than five years, five times five. (laughs) Get her done. Hey. Well, hey, hey, look, you're. I I, I want to get this in quickly, guys, because Thomas had mentioned this quickly. Mike DiPietro, the the poor guy hasn't played this year. And I I, I just worry about this kid. Uh, 21, 22 year uh, goaltender had such a good year coming out of Ottawa. Went to Utica, did super, super well. He's only getting in if a whole beer temp go. I talked to his agent Darren Ferris the other day, and 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 they're being patient, and 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 you know they they they're soaking up uh, the experience they're getting uh, with working with Ian Clark. But I I, I I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I I worry about that kid and his development. You got to play. The only way you develop is play. You can practice till you're blue in the face. But until you face those shots from an opposition player, it, it's I'm sorry. Uh, I, I I think I need this kid to play. I and you know what? I like what they did with Rathbone. I but I I I worry about this DiPietro kid. I, I think he's got to play some games at some point. Yep. Well, Dolly, great to get you on, man. Uh, just good to hear your voice. And we'll do this again because we're coming up to your time of year. Uh, when you do it uh, better than anybody, and that is uh, the off season and the changes that'll be afoot. So uh, we'll certainly keep you in the oh, loop. I know the hey, listeners uh, hey, appreciate what. The Russian what do you guys call it? The Russian guys call it. I'll call you guys later. I, I got to take this call. See you later. Bye.
<laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What a perfect way to leave it then with Rick Dollywall. Uh, he's off taking phone calls as uh, he loves to do. So uh, uh, it, maybe he'll pop back into this pod, Tom. Who knows? But uh, we'll we'll move on. Uh, we thank him. It was good to get him on. And we'll do it again uh, before too long because it's always uh, a good visit with, with our man, Dolly. So a, a couple, a we got We got We got to unpack four years. Like four Fair years. Enough. Four years for Pedersen is tantamount to a trade request, right? Like it's... Uh, it, you know, the, well, I always like it. to it's, say the it just yeah, just walk people through. Like I, I think I get where you're coming from, but just explain why four is the poison pill. Because it means that the guy's free after a second deal, right? Like no one signs a four-year second contract. It's almost unheard of, and it's unheard of because it requires a team like you don't get the benefit of a bridge deal, which is going to be more affordable and gives you another year with rights of first refusal to come to a third term, third agreement where you still have like the, from a team's perspective, you still have your hand on the wheel in terms of controlling a player's rights. Right. And you don't buy out any UFA years. So you also don't avail yourself of the advantage from the restricted free agent seasons of lowering the overall cap hit. Um, Four years is like, just absolutely it's never it never happens like it never happens and it never happens for a reason because it doesn't make any sense for a team you get none of the benefits of the bridge and none of the benefits of buying out ufa years it like the only thing it serves to do is to accelerate a player's ability to hit the open market or in other words leave if that's something a, a second contract guy ever really insists on like if that's ever really a driving point in negotiations, like the player doesn't want to be there. Like I like to say the two year bridge is a sign that the guy's going to get dealt pretty quickly. Uh, Lion and Dubois (laughs) who got traded for one another sort of emphasized that recently. Like the three year bridge is, is the thing you're looking for, or you're looking for something long-term because you want to lock in cost certainty. Both of those outcomes are fine. I personally prefer long-term deals. Um, you know, I, the Tampa Bay Lightning have served to change my mind a little bit, but I think there's real value to having, like, you look at the Maple Leafs, like, those second contracts are bloated, like, they're too expensive, um, especially in a flat cap era, but you also look at the Leafs, and it's like they have four years of set runway, four or five years of set runway with a set cup window in which they know the parameters under the cap in uh, under which they'll work. That makes long-term planning and, like, figuring out exactly how, what you're going to do over a multi-year time horizon, like, 
it, it clarifies it. Like there's real value in that in terms of how you build, how you draft, how you appropriate your assets. Um, I like that better personally than the than the bridge and the every year scramble that Tampa Bay goes through. But um, you know, both of those outcomes are at least defensible. A four year deal, a four year deal makes no sense. And you know, if if that's a if that's a real thing, like that's a real problem for the Canucks. Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, sirloin a lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink, meatballs. Very good, sir. Let's finish up with a little comfort food for our listeners, and uh, it's sort of the way that we end each and every podcast, and that's uh, our high stakes bet as we check in now. We did one on Monday, so there's only been the one game. And I'm telling you right now, like, if you win, and I think you're going to win this bet, I'm sending the bill to Mike Smith. All right? Like, Horvat's going to get to his number regardless. He doesn't need help from Mike Smith like he got in the opening minute last night. No, he doesn't. But I do, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Elias Pettersson starting to... Come on now. Remember, Horvat was the first guy in the NHL to get to five goals, and he's at nine now. And Elias Pettersson had that brutal start, and he's up to eight. So Elias Pettersson is coming along. Uh, again, when you look at uh, Pettersson's projections, I had him at 23, you had him at 22, and we'll see. I mean, you know, it's a good sign for him that his game is is rounding into form in terms of constant and consistent production, but... The issues run deep, as we spoke about earlier on this pod, and so it's not about one guy and what one guy's doing. There's enough to go around uh, with this Vancouver Canuck Hockey Club, and uh, you know we'll see what they look like in the rematch. Uh, McDavid uh, might go off. Uh, Drysaitel can single-handedly beat you. Who knows if they see Mike Smith uh, again? They were handed a freebie to start the hockey game. Uh, Should have propelled them to victory. It didn't. Uh, a couple other things that I just wanted to mention here. If you're looking for other pod ap- pod options here. Uh, on the athletic site, Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Jets, who uh, added to the Canucks' misery with the overtime winner the other night, and Steve Mayer from the NHL, the man behind the outdoor game in Tahoe. Uh, those two are Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun's guests this week on the Athletic Hockey Show, Two Men Advantage. You can find that at The Athletic. And, of course, uh, we'll continue to push out pods here regardless. Win or lose <laughs> for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you can count on us. Well, we will be here for you. Uh, and- yeah. We're churning out. We're, but first of all, I want to say about Steve Mayer. Uh, worked with him on a lot of projects uh, when I was down in Florida. That guy is as smart as it gets. So no surprise that he was behind the big swing uh, in Lake Tahoe. It wasn't perfect. The weather intervened. Um, and nonetheless, I think it was well worth the NHL's time. Aesthetically, one of the coolest things the league has done. And trust that guy to understand the opportunity that was presented by the unprecedented challenges of having no fans uh, able to gather en masse to watch an NHL game uh, and finding a way to make something memorable and cool and exceptional out of that. Like that's, that's a Steve Mayer special. Uh, that's a, that's going to be a podcast that's well worth our listeners time. Cause he's as bright as it gets um, a really forward thinking guy. And, uh, and then also in terms of churning out podcasts, J Pat, should we, uh, should we talk about it? Uh, no, not quite yet. Okay. <laughs> not quite yet. Well, a little tease. We've got something special for, for, for our fans, for, for yes. VanCast listeners. Hang uh, in which there we with will us. Yes. Hang in there with us. Yes. We will announce it in the days to come. 
Uh, Steve Mayer, again, a guest on Two Man Advantage. If you're looking uh, for that segment to find out a little bit more about what goes into uh, all the behind the scenes of putting on those special event games for the National Hockey League. Hey, we ask you at the end of each VanCast, check out our comment section for every podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to the go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. Receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Who knows what tomorrow will bring for the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks are the Oilers, back half of this double dip. And uh, it has to get better, doesn't it? I think. I, well, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, that's why they play the games. Uh, for Drancer, it's J-Pat, as always. Thanks so much. And thanks to Dolly, as well, for joining us here on this edition of the VanCast at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Mm-hmm.